0: As we end this series today, I say today, what I said in week one, these are the three most important talks I believe I've ever brought in my life, and there are three reasons for that. One, God gave them to me in one morning, all at one time, as I've shared with you before, God gave them to me faster than I could type. Secondly, I believe these messages, in fact, I felt this on the way driving to campus this morning. These messages are the most important because from what I can understand from scripture, the times we're in are the very last times, right before Jesus comes back. We're, we're, we're not just in the end times. We've been in the end times since 1948, definitely 67. So we're, we're, we're way past being in the last days. I believe we're in the end of the last days before Jesus returns, and we got to get this stuff straight. I, said, I didn't intend to say this right now. This, this is some heavy-duty stuff. And I know that in our postmodern culture that people freak a lot of times over stuff that's just straight. And I know what (laughs) I I, I feel when I get through today, somebody's going to say, Mark, and they won't say it out loud to me, but they'll say something like this. Mark, you don't understand. If you preach like this, you won't continue to have a megachurch. People won't stay here. I'm way more concerned about you missing heaven than being at New Spring. I love that you're at New Spring. If somebody walks out of here and chooses the devil, that's their business. It's on their heads. But if I don't preach the truth, the blood is on my hands. The book of Ezekiel is clear on that. But there's a third reason why this series, I believe, is the most important that I've ever brought. And it's got a heavy weight on my heart today. And it's what we're going to be honest about with each other. From the beginning of human history, human beings have been caught in between God and Satan. we, We were born in the middle of a war. The Almighty God is at war against his most powerful angel spirit who went rogue and took a third of the angels with him. This all happened before the creation of the world. And so that war existed, as I said, before the world was created. But when God put human beings on the earth for his glory, well, because our first parents, Adam, chose to go to the dark side, they chose to go with sin, we were automatically at birth enrolled in Satan's army, in Satan's kingdom, headed for his destination. And that happens for all of us, and we can't, we can't rip Adam and Eve because the Bible says it very clearly in the book of Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there is no one righteous, no, not one. So because of that, you understand, and I understand, the Bible says we were born enrolled on the wrong side, Romans chapter 5. Not only were we enrolled in the wrong side, but we, when we chose sin, we became headed for Satan's destiny. Jesus said something very interesting in the Gospels. Well, he said everything he said was interesting. But in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about at the end when God is judging people and sending people one direction or the other. And he's talking about those who will be sent to hell. And listen to the language here. Jesus said he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, people have said to me through the years, Mark, I can't believe that a loving God would make a hell for people. Exactly right. He didn't make hell for people. He made hell for Satan and his angels. But if we choose to flip God off and, not, and reject him, there's no place else for us to go. We are in Satan's army at birth and enrolled in his destiny. But God in his love did not want to leave things that way. He made a way for us to get out of that destiny. God and skin. God came himself, born as a baby in Bethlehem. We'll celebrate Christmas in a few few months. And Jesus came into our world, both God and human, at the same time. In other words, he had to be successful where we failed. In other words, He had to, he had to basically do what we couldn't do. So for 33 years, he ran the table, never did one thing wrong, then took that perfect life and laid it on a Roman cross. And the way God looked at it, the blood that came out of his body, was a payment for everything any of us have ever done wrong and a marvelous trade took place when jesus died on the cross we took our sin well actually jesus took our sin and he placed it on his own shoulders as though he were guilty of what we had done and then for those of us who accept him after he has paid for our sins he took his righteousness that he earned and he transferred it to our account And that deal is on the table for any of us here today by faith to come and accept that marvelous gift by grace. There is a wonderful verse in the Bible that I want you to feel right now with what we are teaching today. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, listen to these words. For he that's God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom. And forgave us our sins. Now, I'm not recommending anybody get a tattoo, but I'll tell you one thing. If you want to have something in ink on your skin until Jesus comes, that verse would be pretty good to have. Because the Bible says he rescued us out of that kingdom that we were born into. And then he transferred us into the kingdom of God's dear son. Based on what Jesus did, he purchased our freedom and he forgave us our sins. But now I come to the third reason why I believe this is the most important series I've ever brought, and I share with you what breaks my heart. In this age where Satan knows his time is short, Revelation 12, he is turning up the heat. That is a a tendency. It is is an M.O. of Satan. When he knows his time is short, he turns up the heat. You understand, of course, as we said in week one, Satan, never, he, he's not, he knows he's not going to win. I mean, he, one thing about Satan, he believes the Bible. He knows God tells the truth. And he can read prophecy as well as you and I can read prophecy, if not a whole lot better. So he knows he's running out of time. And he's turning up the heat in these last days. And many who are in God's kingdom in order to escape from the conflict are trying to meet the devil halfway. This is what is wrong with the American church today. We have people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, but because they don't want to be considered politically incorrect, because they don't want to be considered someone whom Satan's kingdom vilifies, they decide, well, maybe I'll just meet the devil halfway. I know Satan's got all the microphones. In all the power centers in our world, Satan has the microphones. Entertainment, politics, education, religion, Satan's got the microphones, and he's turning up the heat on anyone who truly follows Jesus. And so many Christians, to avoid that heat, are thinking, maybe I shouldn't say what the Bible says about things like sexuality. Maybe I shouldn't say what the Bible says about marriage. Maybe maybe I shouldn't say what the Bible says about sin and Jesus being the way to God. Now, here's the thing, church, and I, I, I know... New Spring is a wonderful church, and I'm speaking sort of to the church in in the United States in general. But let's be clear on something. The first stage of that is to say, well, I'll believe it but not say it. But it's just a short step from there to changing over to the devil's side and actually believing his messages. And here's something else for all of us who are parents and grandparents. Some of us believe what God says, but we won't say it. And because of that, our kids are growing up in a vacuum, in a spiritual vacuum, and they will actually, to their eternal problem, believe what the devil has to say. But many of us, and I don't mean New Spring, I guess I'm just talking about American Christians, we've we've chosen to try to meet the devil halfway. Think about this. We were chosen by God for this time. When God created the world, he looked through his catalog of daughters and sons that would be born to him, and he said, I want her for 2020. I want him for 2020. I pick him. I don't know why God didn't put some people like Elijah and Paul and Moses in this generation, but he wanted us. And and what troubles me today is many of us who have been chosen for this destination, for this destiny, we have decided to meet the devil halfway. And here in the United States, the American church is in confusion. And what's really troubling is many who believe they're on God's team are actually on the devil's team. And I know, I know what that is. Someone will say, Mark, you're just not going to have a megachurch if you talk like that. I want to tell you, I love what God has done here, and I'm thankful for every person who attends. But my concern is to make sure that you know Jesus Christ and that your sins are washed away and that you're on God's team and you're clear on who God is and you're clear on who the devil is. Because I don't want to stand at the judgment seat of God and God say, I am so sorry you didn't know the truth. You were at New Spring Church, and I put Mark over there, and he wouldn't tell you the truth. I can't. I can't have that on my heart today. Let me give you some statistics. Christians are always being analyzed to see what they believe. Now, I need to tell you something. These are practicing Christians. Practicing Christians are, it's a nomenclature that is only the minority of Christians. These are people who consider themselves practicing Christians. 61% of practicing Christians in the United States agree with ideas that are rooted in new spirituality or New Age teaching. This would be stuff that comes from Hinduism, stuff that comes from Eastern mysticism, stuff that comes from Wicca, stuff stuff that comes from neo-paganism. 61% of practicing Christians who are the minority agree with stuff that comes from new spirituality. 28% of practicing Christians say that all people pray to the same God or same spirit. 58% of practicing Christians agree with postmodern views. Postmodern simply means I have my truth, you have your truth. Which, by the way, if there is ever a statement out of the pit of hell, it is the statement, my truth. There is no such thing as my truth. I may have my opinion, but I do not own a truth. It is so crazy how this culture is to use that foolish statement. But yet, if you go down to the courtroom and a bailiff swears you in, she doesn't say, do you promise to tell your truth? Don't we understand the incongruity of that insanity? But think about that. Fifty-eight percent of practicing Christians agree with postmodern views. Thirty-six percent of practicing Christians agree with ideas associated with Marxism, which is systematic—it's systematic atheism. Here's the one that blows my mind. Almost half of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelism, which means sharing good news, half of practicing Christians who are millennials say that evangelism is wrong when the last thing Jesus said before he left was take the gospel to the whole world. Do see, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, we have a whole generation of so-called Christians. I, I, don't, I don't have this in my notes. I, I just was thinking about it before I came out here today, so let me read this just out of my Bible. In First Timothy chapter four verse one, the Bible says, "The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, that's our times, some will turn away from the true faith, and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons." That's the Bible. Consequently, there are people that think they've accepted Jesus when in reality they've, they've accepted Satan. And so because of that today, this begs a serious conversation. And that's why today I feel like this is, these are the three most important messages I've ever brought. I mean, you know, I, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I was driving over here this morning thinking he could come back this week. And if he was coming back this week, this is the message I would want to preach right before he came back. In the book of Joel. Joel the the prophet talks about our times and he says that there would be multitudes in the valley of decision. And we today are in that valley of decision and we must decide whose whose side we're on. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament when Moses went up on the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments and that while he was gone, the people had made a golden calf and they'd stripped off their clothes and they'd started having an orgy and dancing and worshiping the the calf God that they learned about in Egypt. When Moses came down from the mountain, what is the question that he asked? He didn't ask, why are you doing this? He came down and he asked in Exodus chapter 32, verse 26, who is on the Lord's side? And that is the question that I pose to you today. Who is on the Lord's side? For a few moments, I want to bring you a message that God gave me, and I know he gave it to me. I want to bring you a message called Never Meet the Devil Halfway. For just a few moments, I have to beg your indulgence and share some old Bible history with you. And that sometimes can cause us to get lost in the weeds, but it's very critical for us that we understand what's behind this situation before it can begin to speak to our hearts. It's easy to get lost in the stories of the kings. You have, well, you have six books in the Old Testament that give us the chronicles of the kings. You have First, Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. I did a series on this about a year ago called Kings and Queens. This is a challenging time for one thing. Four hundred years is a long time. There are a lot of kings and queens. But what really makes it challenging is that early in the history of the kings of Israel, the nation of Israel split. This happened when Solomon died. The northern ten tribes became known as Israel or Samaria, and then the southern two tribes became known as Judah. And this is why when you read the Bible and you read about the kings, it's like you're reading about two kings at one time. They're all Jews, but the nation split and it never rejoined. What is very important to realize is that the northern kingdom of ten tribes was always idolatrous. From the very beginning, they left the worship of God, Jehovah, at the temple and set up their own system. And because of that, the northern ten tribes never had a good king and they were always in idolatry. The southern two tribes became known as Judah. And from time to time, they had very good kings. Now, one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king of the southern kingdom is a man named Hezekiah. I should let you know that Hezekiah's reign occurs at the end, pretty much, of the time of the kings. And when Hezekiah becomes king, the northern kingdom is gone. Now, for a long time, the southern kingdom, even though they had wrestled with the northern kingdom, they sort of depended on the fact that the northern kingdom acted as a buffer between them and assaulting nations now the northern kingdom is gone 722 BC Sargon the Assyrian king came took the northern kingdom captive so now all that is left of what was the nation of Israel are these two tribes in the southern kingdom and along comes a king named Hezekiah now I want you to feel this he's in trouble because Assyria is the most powerful nation in the world and they have gone through the other nations like a hot knife through butter including the northern kingdom let's meet Hezekiah Let's find out what kind of guy this man is. In 2 Kings 18, verse 1, the Bible says Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. He did that which was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles. Hezekiah trusted in God, and there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. He carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Sounds cool, right? Sounds like he's going to have a great kingdom. And he did, in many respects. But when you get a little bit later in that chapter, in verse 13, the Bible says, In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib, he would be the son of Sargon, the King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah. So I want you to get real clear on something. Hezekiah represents the God follower. Sennacherib represents the devil. You've met God's team. You've met the devil's team. You have the picture. Judah, small nation of two tribes. Assyria is the dominant world power. I was just reading yesterday about the size and sophistication of Sennacherib's army. Absolutely terrifying. So here comes Sennacherib. Here comes the devil to attack God's child. What do you think is going to happen? You say, well, Mark. We just read about Hezekiah. He's going to pray. He's going to trust God, and God is going to deliver him, right? Wrong. When Sennacherib comes up against Hezekiah, Hezekiah, in his fear, decides to try to meet the devil halfway. Now I want you to read this with me because it speaks directly to our times. King Hezekiah sent this message to the king of Assyria. I have done wrong. And you say, Mark, why do you stop there? Because we live in a time as that Isaiah wrote about where evil will be considered good and good would be considered evil. And so in our culture today, if you believe what God says about things, you are considered dangerous to this demonic culture. And I see Christians today kowtowing and saying, well, you know, I will say that I've done wrong. It is a bad thing not to admit that you've done wrong when you have, but it is also a bad thing to say you did wrong when you didn't do wrong. But do you see poor, pathetic Hezekiah says to the devil, I'm sorry I offended you. I've done wrong. I will pay whatever money you demand. If only you will withdraw. In other words, if you will just take the pressure off me, I will give you whatever you want. Well, the devil always asks for more than we think he's going to ask for. And so the king of Assyria demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. To gather this amount, King Hezekiah used all the silver stored in the temple of the Lord and in the palace treasury. Hezekiah even stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's temple from the doorpost he had overlaid with gold. And he gave it all to the Assyrian king. Can you imagine that? He gave what belonged to God to the devil. Hello. Hello. But that's not all. That's what the Bible says. But this story is not just in the Bible. I mean, in scripture, it's in the Kings and the Chronicles and the book of Isaiah. But in 1830, archaeologists discovered this 15-inch tall six-sided cylinder with writing all around it with the history of Sennacherib. It's called the prism of uh, Sennacherib. You can study or maybe sometimes it's called Sennacherib's annals. So when Sennacherib writes about this situation, he basically says that he bankrupted Hezekiah. But that's not all. This is not in the Bible, but we read about it in the annals of Sennacherib. He demanded 200,000 of the Jewish people to become slaves. Take a deep breath. He demanded that some of Hezekiah's daughters be added to his harem. Now here is a Godfather who is giving what belongs to God to the devil. Not only that, he is giving over his people, some of his people to the devil, and beyond that, some of his family. Well, it's unthinkable, but we know what Hezekiah was thinking. We feel it today in 2020. Maybe if I give the devil what he wants, he'll leave me alone. Aren't the words of verse 16 really sad? It just says he gave it all to the Assyrian king. So did it work? Look at the next word in verse 17. Nevertheless. You know, Hezekiah gives it all to the devil. And maybe he'll leave me alone. Nevertheless, the king of Assyria sent his commander with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. Now, what I want to do for a few moments is I want us just to take the Bible here, and in chapter 18 and 19, I want us just to follow the contours of the story. I don't know why I'm saying this. I always tell Mary Alice that uh, whenever I preach, I just try to follow the contours of the Bible. I'm kind of like a, a Cessna 180 pilot just flying over the flint hills, you know. I just want to follow the contour of the Bible. So for a few moments, let's just do that. In 2 Kings 18, verse 19, the Bible says, Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military strength and skill? Who are you counting on that you've rebelled against me? With your tiny, and this is the kind of stuff the devil will say to you, With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent? What's more, do you think we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. In an evil day where where wrong becomes considered right and right becomes considered wrong, the devil will come along and tell you that God has told him to tell you this. Well, when Sennacherib's chief of staff keeps hollering this stuff out, you must understand that by this point, Sennacherib has laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. In other words, his troops are all the way around there. Nothing good can get in, and those people can't get out. He keeps screaming these taunting insults, which is what the devil does. And one of Hezekiah's leaders said, Please don't say this in Hebrew. The people will hear. Say it to us in your language. We understand your language. But Sennacherib's chief of staff replied, do you think my master sent this message only to you and your master? He wants all the people to hear it. For when we put this city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They'll be so hungry and thirsty, they'll eat their own dung and drink their own urine. And the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to all the people on the wall, listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. Have any of the gods of the other nations ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? Okay, New Spring, I'm really talking to us right now. If you're Hezekiah... What do you do now? You have nothing left to bribe the devil with. You got a choice. If you're Hezekiah right now, you got a choice. You can either completely surrender or you can choose to stay with God. I've always said to you, I hope that God keeps some of the stuff on video. Because I want to watch a lot of it when I go to heaven. I think there's like, I don't know what's in heaven. I think there's this big theater up there. I'm convinced of it. And I'm like, I want to go, you know, because you know, you know how we are today with all these streaming services. And we get to heaven, the sophistication is going to be a lot greater. I just want to like say, okay, I want to check out this. I want to watch this. This, ever since I've been a kid preacher, this is one of the scenes I want to watch. Because Sennacherib sends Hezekiah a letter. And in that letter, he tells Hezekiah what he's going to do to him. And he says to Hezekiah, do you know what, how I've tortured the kings of other nations that have stood up against me? And boy, you better surrender right now if you know what's good for you. Because if you don't, and he starts saying all this all things, it's in a letter. Now, this is the scene that I want, to, I want to see because in one of the greatest scenes in the Bible, in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, the Bible says, After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, He went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you're enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kings of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these, all these nations. And they've thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But, of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O oh Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O oh Lord, are God. Do you understand what happened here? Hezekiah took this letter down to the temple and spread it out before the Lord and said, God, look what he wrote. What are you going to do about this? Well, in verse 35, we get the answer. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 soldiers. And when the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. I mean, you think about this. One angel... Well, we've already talked about how many, how many angels there are. I mean, we know there are at least 100 million angels. And so, like you were singing a little while ago, the God of angel armies, God just sends one angel down there, and he opens up a can. And by the time he gets through, 185,000 Assyrians are dead. What a mistake it is to meet a losing devil halfway. There are two lessons today as I close out this series. The first lesson is that the devil's technique is siege. Do you realize that Hezekiah Hezekiah, and Jerusalem were never frontally attacked by Sennacherib? Sennacherib came and laid siege. Now, the message of a siege is twofold. Nothing good can get into you, and you can't get out. Now, I'm talking to somebody here today. I mean, ultimately, this is the way we're being told things are in our nation today but for some of us we have an individual situation and satan has laid siege in your life and you don't know what you're going to do and satan comes to you and says nothing good can get into you and you can't get out but he's a liar isn't he Our God is a mighty God, and our enemies are not human. Our weapons are not carnal. They are mighty through God. Sennacherib said to Hezekiah, I'm so big, you don't have a chance. But all it took was for God to send just one of his army to come and wipe Sennacherib out. The second lesson I draw in New Spring, this is for us today. I mean, it's for every Christ follower, but it's definitely for us. And that is the soldier's powerful secret weapon. Now, I want you to think about this story. I think I've told you the whole story just to get to this point. What did Hezekiah do the second time that he didn't do the first time? You say, Mark, he prayed. Yes, but it wasn't any ordinary prayer. See, a lot of prayers will never accomplish what Hezekiah's prayer accomplished. Let me tell you what worked about Hezekiah's prayer. I think I see this clearly because the way I'm considered, I'm considered CEO. And because of that, I've sat in hundreds and hundreds of meetings at the head of a conference table. And when I sat at the head of that conference table, I listened to great leaders on our staff. And probably most of the time, one of the people around that table is going to say something that's going to shape the decision that I'll ultimately, ultimately make but I always know something as leader. In my hip pocket, I know I have veto power. I don't exercise it very often, but every once in a while I say, well, I really appreciate all the good advice, but this is what we're gonna do. Now, the reason why a lot of our prayers don't work is we sit at the head of the conference table of our life. But it isn't just us that has veto power. It's uh, other people around that table. So we have a decision to make. Maybe about what we're going to believe about right and wrong. Maybe about what we're going to do. And we have different people around the table weigh in. Well, let's hear from entertainment. What do, what do the entertainers say today? We, let's hear from entertainment. Well, after that, let, let me hear from my peers. What, 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 what are the peers. what do my peers have to say about this? Okay, let's, let's hear from Mr. Political Correctness. Mr. Political Correctness, would you weigh in here and give me your input? Well, here's my politics over here. I, I have my politics over here, so uh, this is a really important person around the table. Uh, politics, would you weigh in? And after we go all around the table, because we're God followers, we say, well, God, is there anything you'd like to add here? Would you like to chime in? God, God, have you got something that you'd like to share with us at this point? God loves us very much. But let's never forget, as long as someone around our conference table, including us, as long as someone has veto power over God, God will let us twist in the wind. You know why? Because the word of God says this. God says, call on me when you get in trouble. I will rescue you and you will give me glory. And if we're not clear on God's voice, we won't give God glory. So God is like, well, if you won't give me glory, I'm just going to step out. And you just depend on those other people around your table. What did Hezekiah do the second time? They didn't do the first time. His weapon was desperate dependence on God. It was, God, I don't have anybody else here at the table. I'm spreading out this letter. God, if you don't do something, we're not just dead. We're so dead. And God, I'm putting all my dependence upon you. And along comes God. And God says, okay, I'm going to step in now and I'm going to take care of things. Just going to send one little angel down there who's going to take care of business. And it's going to be a different story by the time I get through. But he did it because Hezekiah was at a place where he said, God, there's nobody else at my table, just you. Whatever you say, that's what's going to happen. Whatever you say, I believe. Whatever you decide to do, that's my course of action. You know, this and I'm finished. When Sennacherib went back home, he he wrote about this. Now, when kings in those days wrote about their battles, they glossed over the bad parts and they embellished what they consider good parts. So when, Hez, when, when, when Sennacherib got back from dealing with Hezekiah, he wrote something really weird. He said, we went down there and we shut things up and then we went home. Well, kings didn't write about sieges. They, they wrote about winning. So he just left that part out about what God did. He, he said, we, we just went home. And then he added something at the end that I love. This is not in the Bible. It's just in the annals of Sennacherib. He said, Hezekiah proved especially tough. Well, it wasn't Hezekiah that proved especially tough, was it? It was his God. But I would like for the devil to just put that in there about me. Uh, You know, I went down there and I really attacked Mark, but he proved especially tough. I went down there to attack her, but she, she was more difficult than I thought she would. There is only one question before us today, and it is a big question. We are in the valley decision, and there is no neutrality with God. The question before us today is who is on the Lord's side? If you are, then stand for him. If you're not on the Lord's side, then you can put Christian bumper stickers on your car. You can sing Christian songs. You can listen to my sermons. But if you're not on God's side, it won't fool God. The question today is who is on the Lord's side? And you must decide. You must choose in these last days. And that is the question before every one of us today. And my prayer is that every one of us at New Spring Church will say, no matter what the devil says, I am on the Lord's side side i do not fear and i will not try to meet the devil halfway i will do things god's way and because of that i know i will win i want to close out today by just uh, adding one more thing because it could be that someone is here today and the wisdom You know God's Holy Spirit. The thing about it is if if there's just anything inside of you drawing you to be on God's side, that's not me. That's God's Holy Spirit pleading with you. God wants to transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son Jesus. You could walk out of here today and just say, Mark, I'm mad about the sermon. I didn't like the sermon at all. And I get that. I know the times that we live in. And and, and it's a choice. It is a choice. But if there's somebody here that says, I want to Be sure I'm enrolled in God's side. Well, the beautiful thing is it's a gift that God loves you so much that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he says that no matter how you failed or how you will fail, because none of us can be perfect, if you're willing to want to be on God's side and take Jesus as Lord and Savior, he will forgive you of your sins, wash your your sins away, write your name in God's book. So I'm gonna pray a prayer. These aren't perfect words, but these are words that reach out to God. Would you just pray with me, please? And if you want to get on God's side, you can join me in this prayer. Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Would you forgive me and make me your child? I choose you in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer, all you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-E-Y-E-D, to 97,000. I have a gift box here that will, um, just great stuff that will just help you get started. So all you have to do is text PRAYED to 97,000. You can stop by guest services on your way out to pick this up. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services,